welcome back to North Idaho Now. This is episode 188 for December 9th. Chance Watson back and bringing you the news today. This episode is brought to you by Hecla Mining Company. Hecla Mining Company is a leading low-cost silver producer with operating silver mines in Alaska, Idaho, and Mexico, and is a growing gold producer with operating mines in Quebec, Canada, and Nevada. They are the largest primary silver producer in the U.S., responsible for one-third of the silver produced in our nation. Their philosophy is to operate mines safely by promoting a deeply rooted value-based culture, leveraging mining skills developed over the company's long history, and by innovating new practices. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit heclamining.com. Hey, everybody. It's been a while, hasn't it? I missed you on Tuesday. Uh, for those who do not follow us on Facebook, which you should. Come on, what are you guys doing? Not following us on Facebook? What are you living in the Stone Ages, folks? Just kidding. Come on. Not everybody needs to be on Facebook. But yeah, uh, if you don't follow us on Facebook, we did not have an episode last week because the night before the day I was supposed to record it, uh, I had a, a bit of a spill on uh, playing hockey. Uh, I was playing in the adult leagues out at the Frontier Ice Arena in Coeur d'Alene. And, uh, but a bit of a, bit of an incident where I ran into another guy. We both, we both took a tumble and I dislocated my left shoulder. Um, uh, shout out to the, uh, the guys on the ice who popped it back into place. Initially, it ended up coming out again. Um, but, uh, it was good to, good to see the, good to see that them jump into action and actually help me out when I needed it. Uh, I was able to go to the, the kind folks over at the Kootenai Health ER. They popped it back into place and now I am in a sling, uh, for anywhere from one to three weeks as it gets healed up. Uh, thanks for all the kind words that everybody posted on the Facebook page. If you did, uh, did see that, uh, appreciate it. I'm doing fine. This will heal up here pretty soon. Uh, just precautionary at the moment, really to make sure that it doesn't fall out again and, uh, gives it, gives it a little time to heal. Um, not, not as serious as it could have been. Uh, definitely some muscle tear or some bone breaking would have been much worse. So, uh, thankfully, at least I know for a fact that no bones are broken. Um, God, it's, Seems like uh, all my major injuries in my life have been a result of playing hockey. Go figure. Um, tough sport. Tough sport. Wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, we'll probably get back out on the ice as soon as uh, I'm healed up again. So uh, shout out once again to the folks over at Kootenai Health uh, ER. They did a they did a great job of getting me in, getting me x-rayed, and popped back into place, so to speak. Um, I think the last time I left you guys, I was talking about going and seeing a movie. I never got to go see that movie. Uh, very unfortunate. Uh, but I'm still looking to go see uh, Violent Night. Uh, that's probably going to be something I do later today or over the weekend. Very excited about that. Um, looks like a solid film. Uh, boy, had a little snow last night. Was uh, sliding around a little bit out there. Um, seems like everybody's finally acclimating to the cold weather and the winter weather that we got going on. Um, that's good to he hear and see, um, less accidents on the freeway means everybody's going to get to work and home and wherever they're trying to go in a timely manner. And, uh, we like that. We like that around here. So that's definitely uh, a positive thing. On another note, kind of segueing into today's interview, actually, uh, was spent my, spent my Wednesday out in, or my Tuesday rather, you know, it was my Wednesday. Yeah. See, I'm getting my days mixed up. Maybe I hit my head on the ice too. Hope not. Um, spent my Wednesday out in the old stomping grounds at the Shoshone News Press for the uh, Silver Valley Community Christmas uh, Fund fundraiser telethon. Uh, once again, hosted at the News Press, the Shoshone News Press out there after K Wall went down. Uh, we've got a great interview for you guys today, talking with uh, Paul Robinson, with a former former uh, radio, I guess, jockey, radio host, radio DJ. 
whatever it may be. He was one of the radio personalities over at KWAL when uh, the telethon first kicked up, when it was the Dave Smith telethon. Um, kicked that up 25 years ago, uh, coming up now, and uh, now that KWAL is no longer in existence. Jumped over to the news press to take the reins on that event. Great community thing uh, for all involved. Money goes to... Uh, Silver Alley Meals on Wheels and buying meal vouchers for those just not being able to put food on the table this season. Uh, so we got a great interview with him uh, talking about the past and talking about uh, his uh, George White, his his former uh, host who recently just co-host who recently passed away. Uh, great interview. Uh, Josh McDonald actually uh, makes a return to the show and uh, and and leads that interview. So without further ado, we're going to kick that on over. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Josh McDonald here. Special interview this week. Uh, I've got local legend, former radio broadcaster, and all-around uh, good guy, Paul Robinson here. He uh, here to talk to me and Shoshone County Clerk Tammy Lewis Everhart about kind of the history of this fundraiser that we're doing. We're currently in the midst of the Silver Valley Community Christmas fundraiser, and uh, gosh, this day every year is so much fun, but you know, you, I've only been doing it, I've been a part of it for the last four or five years, man, you did it for decades, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what do you remember? What are some of your favorite memories? Well, I can tell you how it really got started. Uh, Dave Smith and I were Close personal friends. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Yeah. Great sense of humor. He was my biggest advertiser by far. Yeah. And uh, we spent a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we lost him, it was a it was a tremendous loss for everybody in the valley. And it really was for me. I took it awful hard. He was such a wonderful guy. He was a, a true Christian, but he had a great sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just loved him dearly. <laughs> I used to get a kick out of him. He'd, uh, he was a heavy advertiser of, of mine, and he would run 10, 15 commercials per day, every day. And he always, uh, I remember when the, uh, the Japanese cars came on the market, quite a transition for mm -hmm. all Ford and Chrysler and Chevrolet and Dodge dealers. Yeah. Quite a transition. And here comes Honda and Yamaguchi and all the other rest of this crap. <laughs> and... Uh, Dave used to laugh about it. He'd, he'd want to know if he could do his commercials on the air using the Star Spangled Banner as background music. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, we, never, we never got to that point, but uh, like I said, he had a great sense of humor. Yeah. A wonderful guy. Yeah. And when we lost him, we just thought that this would be a great way to honor his memory have a big fundraiser. He loved the valley. I mean, he dearly loved the valley. Yeah. Loved kids. And if we could help needy families through this process, it just was an ideal situation for us. Yeah. We did it for years and raised thousands of funds, thousands of dollars, as you guys should continue to do, which is, is wonderful. I'm glad that, that when we lost him and we lost the radio station, that you guys contacted me and one of us all right if you continue. And I said, man, have at it. Yeah. And you've done a fantastic job. And you're to be congratulated, both of you. Really. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's wonderful. And, you know, I mean, I got, I think it was the last year the radio station did it. I actually got arrested. 
brought down to the station, dragged down to the station, had to call 10 people, get my 100 bucks to get myself out of there. Uh, and I had a, such a soft spot for that radio station. Uh, did some sports for oh. you guys for a couple of years. Uh, you know, and I, we talked about it at the beginning of the day. It was one of the first things. We, we talked about George. Yeah. Uh, you know, George, uh, I know you and him were best buds for decades. Basically brothers, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's not a single person, especially, especially in the Kellogg crowd, but I know the Valley crowd, but specifically in the Kellogg crowd, I mean, he's just a legend, you know, the Kellogg people. Here's the one, here's the one thing I tell you about George White that I can't say about anybody else in my lifetime. Yeah. And I met a lot of people through radio, a lot of people, a lot of important people, businessmen, owners. Yeah. I never, ever in my lifetime, knowing George White, had anybody ever, ever say anything bad about him? Ever. Ever. Never. I can't say that about myself. <laughs> Most of us can't. No, not very few of them. Yeah. He, he was loved by everybody. Yep. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. It was so amazing to me. We would go to, to Boise or Pocatello or Idaho Falls or Twin for state basketball tournaments. Always had to go down south. Always. Yeah. And, you know, you'd have a ball game maybe Thursday afternoon at 2.30. And then if you win, you're going to play Friday night at 8 o'clock. So now you've got a bunch of time to kill on Friday. So yeah. what do you do? Well, you walk the streets and do a little shopping and so on and so over there. And everywhere we went, I didn't care if it was Boise, Pocatello, Idaho Falls. They might be walking down the street and somebody across the street would go, George, George White, is that really you? <laughs> there was some guy lived in Idaho Falls. George refereed his ball game one time, or played ball against him, or refereed his son's ball game, or something. But every city we went to, come tournament time, that happened. I mean, every year, every year. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, that is the people he knew. Yeah. My goodness, what a wonderful guy. Uh, the so the first time I met you and George. You guys were, I believe, having breakfast at the Silver Spoon. There was a group of you guys that would get together and sit at that circle table that mm -hmm. was right there. Yeah, yeah. My dad and I did a paper out for a long time. We'd come in there and have breakfast, yeah. and George would always tease me. He'd be like, one day you'll be big enough to play basketball, you know, like, like I used to. I'm like, I'd look at him like, you used to. Okay, mm -hmm. well, well, all right. Didn't quite recognize the magnitude of who I was talking to as yeah. far as Kellogg lore goes, you know, <laughs> this guy is the guy. And uh, I remember after my first big game, it was Silver Eye Tournament game up in Mullen, he comes down and he grabs me as I'm walking off the floor. I just had like 33 points or something like that against Wallace. Decent game. And he grabbed me and he was like, I told you, I told you one day you'd be good enough. And I was like... Yeah, you did, and like it was like that. A memory came right back, but he remembered all those years later that just the conversation we had had in the Silver Spoon years before at six in the morning when my dad was taking me out for breakfast. That just he was that guy. He was that kind of guy, and he he remembered. He was he was he's just a, so kind. He was a high school athlete that that accomplished so many things. Yeah. And the most impressive thing to me, and he never bragged about it, ever bragged about it. He was not only a varsity athlete in both football and basketball for Kellogg, he was a starter yeah. as a freshman. 
He was a starter on the football team. As a freshman, he was a starter on the basketball team. Sophomore, junior, senior year. Have you ever heard of a kid doing that? Ever? Not very many. The only person I can even think of, and I mentioned this at his funeral, that did it in basketball, but the kid didn't play football, was uh, Kyle Womble. Oh, yeah. Womble was a starter as a freshman, Kellogg. Mm -hmm. Sophomore, his, later he went to Coeur d'Alene, but uh, he, he was a trainer, but he never played football. Right. George did it both ways. Yeah. And he had a full ride at Idaho. I don't know if you know that, football. Yeah, he did tell yeah. me that. Yeah. Wow. Quite a kid. So, you know, and you don't want to, like, peg down someone's legacy as something, but, like, I mean, you and, you and George got together, started doing the radio. It was a match made in heaven. We had... Two very colorful personalities, yeah. big personalities, um, with a shared passion. And this fundraiser was the perfect outlet for you two, with all your connections in the community, with your friendship with Dave Smith. It was it was just it was the perfect storm for something like this. And I think for me, having a relationship with you and having a relationship with George and you know, understanding the magnitude of what Dave Smith brings to the Silver Valley, I think for me personally, that's been my passion behind keeping this going. Yeah. Is I would never want you guys to feel like we just let it go. Yeah. You know, if anything, you know, 20, 30 years from now, I want to look back and go, we did our part to try and carry on their legacy a bit. Yeah, that's one. So, true. you know, it, it, it does mean a lot to us. And we're just, I'm happy to see you in here. I haven't talked to you in a well, minute. I know, so. I know you guys work hard at this. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's fantastic, really. Because yeah. it, it's a lot of work. It is, it, it is a lot People of work. People forget about the amount of work it takes to There's do something. There's a lot of need, though. And I think, um, since I've been involved the last five years, there's a lot of people out there that still have that same burning passion to help the community. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I mean, people drive, today we just had the guys from HMH drive all the way from Maiden Lake to come over and make a donation. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just, um, That's it's really cool to yeah. see all the people that have been helped over the yeah. years and how many lives that the program has touched. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Dave Smith touched a lot of lives when he was here. Mm -hmm. he was, just a wonderful human being. Just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And a wonderful family man. And provided so many jobs. God, think of the jobs he provided in this valley. Yeah. Yeah. When it was needed. Yeah. Man, yeah. man, oh man. Yeah. And paid decent salaries. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. My daughter, Carla, was a sales, salesman for Fort Dave one year. And she, God, I mean, fantastically well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she won the December, had a big December promotion. She won a, won a trip to the Rose Bowl for both wow. her and Sean. She got to take her boss along, which was a Greek Mathis at the time, yeah. and his wife. Yeah. It's got a beautiful diamond ring from Dodge. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Like, to give you an idea of the kind of money she made, <laughs> and I paid myself a decent salary at cable. Don't think I did, yeah. but I did. Mm -hmm. But her and I didn't. Compare W-2 forms that year. <laughs> no, no. I wasn't going to embarrass myself that bad. Uh, and she okay. was like 21 years old. Perfect. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Are there any <laughs> memories or moments from the, the telethons that you did, or radiothons yeah. back then, uh, that stand out to you? Anything that might crack, crack some of our listeners up? Anything like that? Any funny yes. anecdotes? 
particularly uh, animated people coming in to make their calls. Yeah, yeah. God, I, I, I wish you'd asked me this yesterday and said, hey, Paul, come prepare with me. Because I could... I can't come up with any, but there's a hundred of them. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. I can remember ladies just I remember ladies getting so active with this thing you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were just you know they're busy. Whatever else is mom. Joanne would get involved with this thing. Are you crazy? You're making phone calls and stuff. Do it right there in their office at Kellogg. You know, yeah. they just want to get involved. They want to help. Yeah. There's so many people like that that. I remember Julie Sinkovich. Manning phone, yep. and she called me and said, They're putting me in jail. I need you to bail me out. I said, What? And I was working at Court of Lake. I said, What? She goes, Yeah, they're putting me in jail and you got to bail me out. And I started laughing. She goes, It'll cost you $25 to get me out. <laughs> and then I knew. Like, what kind of jail is this? <laughs> that was years ago. Yeah, they used to have a lot of fun. Right they had a lot of fun with it. They really did. And I think that's the legacy I want it to be is I want it to be something that people look back and go, that day every year is a lot of fun. Yeah. And we tried, I mean, we have like uh, today we had we had Sarah Murphy in here doing flowers and she did some floral arrangements that get auctioned off, people buy them. Uh, Carrie Alexander just did a appetizer making course. A lot like if you have company come over at the last mm -hmm. minute, you can throw this appetizer together. Sure. Uh, the HMH guys drove all the way from Hayden to bring I mean, they bring us gifts. Yeah. They bring us a gift basket of hats and you know, fun like uh, wallets and yeah. cups and coasters and all yeah. sorts of stuff. People want to come and donate and give and be a part and look back and go, that was Carol great. Roberts and Paul. Yeah, we had the music. The mm -hmm. Robertses came and sang some Christmas carols yeah. right here in the office along with our reporter, yeah. Molly, their daughter. Yeah. You know, I just want it to be something that people look back and go, that was yeah. always fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Well, that's you guys a lot of smiles. Are, you guys are on the right track, that's for sure. Cool. God bless you for carrying it on. It's yeah. just wonderful. Thanks yeah. for still being a part of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that That's makes special. it very, very special. Yes. I really appreciate yeah. it Thank you coming in. So, I think, I think that's going to do it for us. Paul, always <laughs> a pleasure talking to you, buddy. Uh, good talking to you, too. Really. Right. Enjoy it. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Home of the lowest prices in all things outdoors since 1975, Black Sheep Sporting Goods is your one-stop shop for all your camping, fishing, hunting, and clothing needs. Open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out Black Sheep's new location in the Silver Lake Mall. Be sure to grab an entry form from any cashier in Black Sheep's annual Big Game event. All Big Game entries must be harvested between August 31st and December 24th, 2022. Prizes will be awarded by random drawing. Size of rack doesn't determine a winner, and the entry must meet all state and federal laws. Black Sheep Sporting Goods, award-winning selection and customer service since 1975. You know how hard it is to edit, to type with one hand? I mean, if, if we have any listeners that only have one hand, then I, I understand. I, I get it. Um, it's, it is, it is not easy to, uh, switch from the keyboard to the mouse to the keyboard to the mouse. And then when you have to like hold, like control something with like two fingers and you're stretching out really, it's, it's not easy. Not easy folks. Uh, <laughs> hey chance, stop. quit complaining and read the news. All right. Sounds good. I can do that. Moving on. Quarterly post Falls press headlines for Thursday, December 8th headline learning the ropes. This is by Devin Weeks. A slew of new faces will appear in Boise to represent Kootenai County when the 2023 legislative session begins January 9th. 
First-term House representatives include Joe Alfrey, Elaine Pierce, and Jordan Redman, Republicans of Coeur d'Alene. The Senate will include first-term lawmakers Carl Bjork, Bjork and Ben Taze, Republicans of Coeur d'Alene. Doug Okuniwiz, Republican of Hayden, will serve his first term as senator, although he served one term in the House from 2020 to 2022. Two of North Idaho's longest-tenured representatives, Vito Barbarelli, Barbareri, rather, Republican of Dalton Gardens and Ron Mendev of Coeur d'Alene, are entering their seventh and sixth terms, respectively. First-time elected House and Senate officials have no designated mentors, but will learn, learn much working alongside their seasoned peers. Quote, those of us who have our seniors, uh, those who us who are senior can be a huge benefit to the new legislators, Mendev said. We need to be available to answer their questions and can inform them of the mistakes we made and hopefully that help them avoid some of the pitfalls. We also work with uh, also will work overtime with the communities to try and stop bad legislation. Bills are more difficult to stop on the floor. Mary Souza. Republican of Coeur d'Alene, who just completed her fourth and final term in the Senate, said everyone in the Senate was extremely helpful when she was a new legislator. Quote, every single one of them. They were all new at one point, too, she said Monday. New lawmakers in the House and the Senate attended intense orientation training, Sosa said, to learn about the different departments, legalities, and ethics that come along with the job. The volume of new blood could prove to be a challenge to could prove to be challenging for elected officials and their constituents. Mendev said he is looking forward to a busy and productive legislative session. Uh, the longer version of this story does include all of the committees that these individuals are on. Uh, for the sake of brevity, I, I have cut those from this story. But if you are interested in what all the committees that those individuals are on, uh, just check out the full story on the thecourtlanepress.com. Moving on, four generations driving strong. This is by Devin Weeks. It's official. A fourth generation will carry on the tradition at the Knutson Chevrolet dealership in Post Falls. Lauren Benedict, daughter of Knutson Chevrolet President Eve Knutson, was approved by General Motors to be a partner, successor, and executive manager of the dealership. The news was confirmed Monday. Quote, I feel excited that it's official, Benedict, 27 of Coeur d'Alene, said Tuesday. I've been working towards this in this capacity for a while. Benedict is a 2013 Lake City High School graduate. She dual enrolled in North Idaho College while in high school and graduated with a high school diploma and an associate's degree in hand. She attended Gonzaga University as an undergrad and received her business administration degree in 2015. In 2019, she received her master's in organizational leadership. In 2021, she completed the National Automobile Dealers Association Academy. She is the great-granddaughter of Clifford Knutson, who opened Knutson Chevrolet in downtown Coeur d'Alene in 1939 with the help of his brother, Wayne G. Knutson. Benedict has worked at the dealership for seven years in human resources and management. She said she wasn't on pins and needles regarding confirmation from General Motors because she expected everything would be approved. The anticipation of the phone interview with the company was more intense, she said. Quote, my uncle sold me his share, technically, in January, so this is just making it official. Now I actually know what my job title is, Benedict said with a laugh. I'm excited. The approval of General Motors, which uh, with which Knutson Chevrolet has a personal service agreement, means the dealership at 1900 East Polston Avenue is now 100% female-owned. Well, congratulations to her. Uh, Knutson Chevrolet been a fixture of the area for a long time, so glad staying in the family. Moving on, headlines from Friday, December 9th. This is where we have all the juicy headlines today, folks. Headline, it's not just a hospital. This is by Bill Bewley. 
Several Kootenai County Kootenai Health trustees reiterated their support Thursday for the hospital district to transition from being government-owned to a nonprofit. While one trustee said he opposed it, quote, We are here for one purpose, and that's to maintain health services for Kootenai Health at the highest standards available, said trustee Katie Brody. About 75 people attended the informational meeting at the Best Western Plus Coeur d'Alene Inn. Trustee did not take questions from the audience, but answered written questions submitted prior to the meeting. While two police officers were present, it was a quiet meeting without interruptions. Kootenai Health CEO John Ness and others presented a white paper released last week that outlined the benefits, drawbacks, and considerations for transition to a 501c3. Very strange terminology, a white paper. Um, that it literally, you know, obviously, as it sounds, it's just they just they just pulled out a piece of white paper from a copy machine. No. Uh, in the, if the transition is approved by trustees who are expected to vote on it next week, it could take about six months to complete. Trustees said there are no plans to sell Kootenai Health if the transition is completed. Kootenai Health has been a hospital district since 1956. Ness said that in 2010, it was, quote, a really good independent hospital. Today, it has an annual payroll of about $350 million. Quote, it's not just a hospital, Ness said. It's a regional medical center. The area's dramatic growth has created financial, medical, and labor challenges, which have forced Kootenai Health to consider changing its status. Trustee Terry Farr said Kootenai Health is still recovering from dealing with COVID-19, and the country could be headed into recession. She said hospitals are closing across the country. Quote, That really concerns me because I think the hospital is probably the most important institution in the community, Farr said. She said the hospital district must prepare for the future, and in this transition to nonprofit status is key to that step. Ness said the change would not impact the cost of health care. He said it w- he would just pay $550 to North Idaho College as part of his property taxes, and if that were uh, were pr- prorated for the hospital, quote, it would be a much larger number than that, but we don't want to have that happen. Kootenai Health has not exercised its taxing authority since 1995, but has received about $30 million from the Kootenai Health Foundation. Colvin said going to a nonprofit would be a model that, quote, fits the fabric of a conservative community. Trustee Bob McFarland said he initially had many questions about the transition, but said those questions have been answered. Steve, Trustee Steve Matheson said he opposed the nonprofit conversion. Quote, I think the motivation behind it is more political than meets the eye, he said. Matheson said Kootenai Health is a billion-dollar operation that has been grown by the community for the last 65 years. Quote, now that we're going to transition that institution to a public entity where the community has no input on how it's going to run, he said. Matheson said that, he propo- that the proposal should go to the public for a vote rather than the board deciding the issue. Ness said, as CEO, the community's rising population, expected to eventually double from 175,000, is on his mind. The 90-minute session was presented by the Joint Chamber Public Policy Committee, representing the Coeur d'Alene, Post Falls, Hayden, and Rathram Chambers of Commerce. All right, moving on to next story. Sheen Source Sought. This is an interesting story. This is by Bill Bewley. Heavy equipment that sank into Lake Coeur d'Alene more than 30 years ago is believed to be the source of an oil sheen that has appeared on the lake's surface at Higgins Point this weekend. Not Charlie Sheen, folks. An oil sheen. <laughs> Quote, it's in the right spot, said Megan Johns, Idaho Transportation Department spokeswoman. ITD and, and Department of Environmental Quality officials visited Higgins Point on Thursday to take a look at the sheen that seemed to bubble up at about 50 yards from shore and drift in. 
able cleanup technologies from Spokane placed an oil containment boom along the se- about 75 yards of the shoreline. John said a diver will be brought in, perhaps today, but more likely on Monday, to try and determine the source of the oil. Then, ITD and DEQ will develop a cleanup plan. The sheen was first spotted by local photographer Stephen Peake. While walking on the paved path toward Higgins Point on Wednesday, he noticed the oil sheen on the water. He took a few photos and posted them to his Facebook page with no plans to contact ITD. Thursday morning, he heard from ITD, which, which asked for more pictures and details. While it's possible the sheen could be from another source, perhaps a boat that lost fuel, it's most likely from a D9 dozer that fell in the lake during inter- during Interstate 90's construction in 1990. Whoa, that's crazy. I had no idea that happened. A 631 cat scraper also slid into the east side of the lake while crews were laying fill for an interchange. The two pieces of machinery were buried in 200,000 cubic yards of fill material. They just buried it? They didn't even try to get it out. That's interesting. Very interesting. Regulatory agencies agreed it was better to leave them at the bottom of the lake than risking tearing up the lake bed and the spawning area there, according to previous press report. In 2000, the dozer began leaking. It leaked again in 2010. Both were quickly repaired. Peake said he also returned to Higgins Point on Thursday to take pictures and came across ITD and DEQ officials surveying the scene. The sheen was still, uh, was still there and bald eagles were overhead. Bozeman, Montana photographer Jeff Brenner was at Higgins Point early Thursday and into the late afternoon. He said he didn't see any bald eagles trying to pick up kokanee floating in the sheen or come near it along the shoreline. Quote, they weren't really even coming close to it, he said. Well, that's good to hear. Brenner said the men placing the oil uh, containment boom along the shoreline paid close attention to detail and asked questions about the kokanees and eagles. John said they did not place the boom farther out in the water because a storm was expected to come in and it would not be effective. Wildlife officials could not say Thursday if the sheen posed a health threat to the bald eagles that arrived to feed on the spawning kokanee. The most recent BLM count on December 2nd recorded 87 adults and 26 juveniles. Well, hopefully it doesn't affect any of the bald eagles in the area and they get that cleaned up real fast. Very strange. Still blows me away that they thought that it was the right thing to do to just leave it there. That's nuts. Moving on, uh, this story actually right here that I'm about to read to you is in the Friday edition of the Coeur d'Alene Press, uh, but not, but it's on the online version, uh, did not make the print version, this will probably make it into the Saturday paper, but I wanted to read you guys the actual updated story, uh, as of press time, uh, they were only able, uh, the staff there at the Coeur d'Alene Press were only able to get a small version of this story up into the print version for Friday, but I wanted to give you guys the full version uh, for, for the show. So here we go. Without further ado, NIC board places president on administrative leave will ask Sabali to return as president. This is by, uh, Kay Thornbrew. The North Idaho College Board of Trustees voted Thursday to place President Nick Swain on immediate administrative leave and asked Michael Sabali, the former interim president to return as acting president. The actions were taken when the trustees returned to open session after 10 p.m., following a roughly three-hour executive session. The motion to place Swain on administrative leave was made by trustee Todd Banducci and recommended by the college's new attorney, Art McComber, who clarified the motion. McComber said that the motion will would allow him to work with Greg McKenzie, the board chair, to, quote, investigate things that have arisen of concern that impede our accreditation success. Okay. Trustee Terry Zimmerman voted against both motions, which passed by a 3-1 vote. Trustee Brad Corkill was not present for the meeting. 
Before the board voted to place Swain on administrative leave, Zimmerman questioned the legality of McCumber's hiring, which occurred during a meeting Monday night. Banducci introduced two resolutions in that meeting, one to hire McComber and one to freeze the hiring process for positions within the president's cabinet unless the board approves of potential hires. The first resolution stated that the NIC Board of Trustees has identified legal counsel to replace longtime college attorney Mark Lyons, who recently resigned. Quote, what meeting occurred where the trustees identified legal counsel, Zimmerman said? There was no such legal meeting. Zimmerman added that she believes McComber, who was who is paid $325 an hour, whew, is unqualified for his new position. Quote, he wrote his own fee agreement, she said. He walked in and was hired on the spot. Who gets to do that? McComber told the board he reached out to Banducci before November's general election to discuss the college's legal needs. Quote, I took it upon myself and I drafted these resolutions, McComber said in contrast to Monday, when he and Banducci said the Bandu that Banducci penned the resolutions. After Lyons resigned, McComber said he decided to write his own fee agreement and bring it to Monday's meeting. McComber said he requested on Tuesday that Lyons provide him with NIC-related files and that Lyons said he had none to give. Quote, I am now of the opinion that he is working against NIC, that he wants NIC to fail, McComber said. Maybe he just wants me to fail. Interesting. McCumber then pointed to the minutes from the board's September meeting, which indicate Lyons said that, quote, made an error in the final draft of the president's contract related to the termination clause 12.1. Lyons asked the board to approve the correction of the, quote, Scriven Scrivener's error and strike the words either party from the section and replace them with the words the president. Trustees voted 3-2 to approve the change, with Banducci and McKenzie opposed. McCumber contended Thursday that it was a, quote, material change and not a Scrivener error, which is the correction of an unintentional mistake when drafting a contract. Comparing the act to a chess move meant to, quote, protect the king, McComber proposed placing Swain on administrative leave for the duration of an investigation into the charge of his contract. Quote, in the meantime, college operations might be stymied, McComber said. Before the vote, Zimmerman said she was dismayed by the actions of her fellow trustees. Quote, it appears that your sole purpose is to undermine the college and to bring it down, she said. Swain is qualified to lead NIC and has demonstrated a strong desire to fulfill the college's mission, Zimmerman added. She implored her fellow trustees to, quote, quit treating him like an enemy. Quote, I feel there is something nefarious going on, Zimmerman said. There's not much I can do. Banducci then suggested that Sabali return as acting president and that the college reactivate the contract from when he was an interim president. Quote, there's nobody else I can think of, Banducci said. We need to have somebody who knows this college and has experience working with accreditation. Someone I think was a very good leader who hadn't been given even the slightest chance. Sabali resigned from NIC in late September for unclear reasons after the college placed him on administrative leave for an undetermined period of time. NIC declined at the time to comment on the reason for his departure, stating it was a personal matter. Sabali did not respond for, to requests for comment. Banducci said that it might be possible to have Sabali in place as acting president as soon as Monday, though Sabali had not been contacted yet and is, quote, working in Nebraska. Well, that would make things difficult. Zimmerman objected strongly to Banducci's suggestion, quote, the process of hiring your best friend is just ridiculous, she said. If Sabali's not available, who are you going to go with, your next bestie? He was put into that role in the first place because he was your best friend.
Banducci, McKenzie, and former trustee Michael Barnes voted last October to hire Sabali as interim president. They chose him over nine other applicants without an open discussion of his qualifications. The three trustees also voted to relax the job description, removing a requirement of a minimum of five years in higher education administration and senior leadership. Oh, boy. Quote, or, uh, no, I'm sorry. Former trustees Christy Wood and Ken Howard opposed Sabali's hiring, calling the process a sham. Quote, I know for a fact that three fi- that the three finalists are personal friends with Banducci, Wood said last year. The relationships are deep, and that's why I call the whole entire thing corrupt. Mackenzie said Thursday that Sabali had been badly treated. Quote, Dr. Sabali has endured more slander and more unfair treatment because of his selection that was hashed out in executive session, he said. He was painted as merely the wrestling coach. The board will likely convene for a special meeting Monday to revisit the matter. Oh, boy. Well, that that makes me unhappy to hear. I wish uh, NIC was more stable, and uh, it seems like the new new power group, uh, the new three there, are uh, not interested in anything calm at NIC at the moment. All right, folks, time to jump north to the Bonners Ferry. No, not the Bonners Ferry Herald. Ha, 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 ha. Just kidding, folks. The Bonner County Daily Bee at a sandpoint. Headlines from Wednesday, December 7th. Headline, Love's Drive. This is by Bo White Eagle. A local woman was recently honored as the November Idaho human for all of her hard work in the community that has touched many lives. Debbie Love, executive director of the Bonner Community Food Bank, has been active in various organizations over the years, including the Girl Scouts, YMCA, and Ponderay Arts Council. However, it is her work of helping others that means the most, Love said. Growing up in Boise, Love spent her childhood outdoors with her family, who also instilled in her the importance of hard work and service to others. Watching her grandmother work with elders as a nurse at Treasure Valley Manor, Love said she would spend her afternoons helping the residents, quote, wrap their little pets, which were actually stuffed animals. Quote, those little caregiver caregiving things were very inspirational to me as a child, Love said. Taking that inspiration with her, th- with, with her th- through high school and on to college, Love became a volunteer through the Agency for New Americans, an organization that aids refugee families from other countries in acclimating to their new lives through education and other resources. Love became the lifeti- lifeline for a Bosnian family. With the help of another volunteer, Love taught the family to use the Treasure Valley public transportation system. She also helped them buy groceries and other supplies. Love said the language barrier became a non-issue thanks to food. The experience was enough, Love said. She knew exactly what she wanted to do with her life. Love met her husband, Will, in college, and they stayed in the Boise area until the pull north grew too great. Together, they moved to Spokane, where her husband had a job offer. Through a series of twists and turns in their lives, Love and her husband found their way to Sandpoint, his hometown. With a job opportunity for both of them, the move made sense, Love said. In 2013, Love was hired by the Ponderay Arts Council as an executive director. She worked for the POAC for nearly three years until she was recruited by the Bonner Community Food Bank to become a director in 2016. Through Love's position with the food bank and her work helping others, she caught the eye of of Humans of Idaho, an organization that puts the spotlight on folks like Love. The group gives those who selflessly help others a ch- uh, help others a chance to tell their story and gain support for their cause. The organization recently featured Love on its website and set up a donation campaign in her name. All funds donated will benefit the Bonner Community Food Bank in the form of a grant that will be given to Love. To learn to read more about Love or to donate, visit the Humans of Idaho website online. Well, good for her. Congratulations. 
that is that de- congratulations debbie love that is uh, quite the accomplishment moving on headlines from thursday december 8th sms at sandpoint middle school gives back this is also by Bo white eagle it's the season of giving and sandpoint middle school is doing its part for its students and their families with its annual giving tree program the annual program gives families an opportunity to help others or to get a little assistance this holiday season depending on their circumstances the program is a tradition at the school that goes beyond her time there sms counselor kendall lang said families and students are selected from a pool of referrals and their names are placed on the giving tree to receive a gift referrals come from teachers but families can also also self-refer to be added to the program in past years gift ideas for those selected were specific however in the wake of the pandemic and the changes to it uh, changes it brought lang said the traditions have changed to include a cozy gift set as well as necessities quote our teachers and staff let us counselors know if there are any students they would like to uh, that would be great candidates for this program and then we take that list and run with it lang said it's just a way to ensure that each of our students nominated is receiving a great assortment of gifts and provides full inclusivity of all nominated. The community can give in the spirit and get in the spirit rather and help support these families by making a donation to the school's Giving Tree Fund to help purchase items. The giving spirit is a valuable feeling that comes from a deep from deep in the community, something that SMS counselor Jessica Lippy said she feels deeply. Quote, for many, this is a very special time of the year as the true meaning of giving is always astonishing, as well as the strong sense of community that is present, Lippy said. The program provides a number of items to those selected from warm blankets to personal hygiene products and gift cards. The gift bag even includes smaller items such as candy and guard games. However, Lang said even something small can make a difference and the community's love to continue, uh, community's love continues to inspire. Quote, we understand that, th- that this time of year can be difficult and stressful for many families, and we want to be able to give to those families and our students, even if it's something on a smaller scale, such as a gift bag of goodies. Our community is amazing, and we'd like to participate in giving back to the wonderful families of our community on the school side, Lang said. Families who are interested in contributing can stop by the SMS office and give a check or cash to the school's bookkeeper by December 14th. Parents of students referred to the program can then stop by the school and pick up their student gift bags to take home before Christmas break. Another great cause, folks. Support that if you can. Moving on. Friday, December 9th headlines. Downright distinguished. I like that headline. Good job, Carolyn. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. Registration is now open for the upcoming Distinguished Young Women of Sandpoint program. DYW is inviting all girls graduating with the class of 2024 in the school district to attend a meet-and-greet event planned for January 25th. The event will be held at 2.15 p.m. at Sandpoint High School, Room C1. The event offers a chance to learn more about the program and the potential to earn a $3,000 scholarship presented to the Distinguished Young Woman winner, plus other scholarships. Past participants such as Camille Neuter, DYW Sandpoint for 2020, and Allie Terry in 2021 praised the program as fun and something that led to special friendships with the other participants. Neuter said at the time that she'd never that that she never misses a chance to encourage participation in the program and share its message of empowerment for young women. Distinguished Young Women is a scholarship competition program available to girls graduating in the class of 2024, typically their junior year of high school. Quote, Distinguished Young Women is a great opportunity to make new friendships, learn life skills, have fun showcasing your achievements, and of course, help pay for college. A neuter wolf and... And 
Andrea Wolf, sorry about that. Andrea Wolf, distinguished young woman of Sandpoint, co-chairwoman said. Those who would like the information with no obligation to participate are invited to register at distinguishedyw.org. That's D-I-S-T-I-N-G-U-I-S-H-E-D-Y-W.org and or come to the meet and greet event. There is no fee to participate in the Distinguished Young Women program. The deadline to register in the 2023 program is January 31st. Found on 1958, Distinguished Young Women is a free program that encourages participants to reach their full individual potential. Distinguished Young Women aims to empower young women by providing over $1 billion in scholarship opportunities and connecting with a nationwide network of women. It also aims to help them develop the self-confidence through its life skills workshops, help prepare them for success after high school. All right. Great. Great. Another great program. There you go. The America's gold and silver owned Galena Mine in Wallace, Idaho is currently accepting applications for a variety of positions, both above and underground. America's gold and silver offers competitive wages, a full employee benefit package, which includes medical, dental, vision, life and disability insurance, PTO, 401k and a pension plan. To apply for the many open positions at the Galena Mine, visit www.americasgold.com forward slash careers. All right, folks, jumping over to the Shoshone News Press headlines now from Friday, December 9th. Uh, This first headline here we're going to read is actually a story that came out of the Tuesday paper, uh, but with uh, the Dave Smith telethon, the Silver Lake Christmas Fund uh, dominating the headlines for the Friday paper. Uh, We're going to throw this one in here, and uh, if you guys are interested in the story that was written by Josh McDonald on the Dave Smith telethon, I would check that out at uh, at, on, on the website or in the Friday paper of the Shoshone News Press. Or you got a lot of the explanation and whatnot from the interview that you listened to earlier in this episode. So you're getting lots of info on the Solar Valley Community Christmas Fund. All right, without further ado, jumping into it. Headline, Sheriff Gunderson retires. I worked this one up myself. It certainly wasn't an easy decision to make, but it was the one that had to be made. That's the mentality that former Shoshone County Sheriff Mike Gunderson had as he worked his last shift last Friday before retiring for health reasons. Quote, 1201, Gunderson said to dispatch as he checked out for out with his call sign for the last time. End of service. Final 1042. Gunderson's own daughters, Austin and Riley, confirmed the 10 code that signals an officer's end of tour, then came over the air to deliver a heartfelt recapping of his service and acknowledgement of the many lives that he had touched during his time in office. Quote, Congratulations, Dad. We love you, they said in unison. 1201, you are 1042 for the final time. With 32 years of experience in law enforcement, the final six as the sheriff, Gunderson admitted that retiring wasn't exactly what he wanted to do. After being diagnosed with a, quote, personal medical condition roughly three years ago, he explained to the news press that his doctor strongly recommended that he reduce his stress levels. This largely meant retiring from law enforcement. Being a workaholic, taking on less responsibility is no easy task for him, but he has noticed an improvement in his health after cutting down on the workload. Looking back on his time as sheriff, Gunderson was pleased with being able to accomplish so much with what, of what he promised during his initial campaign in 2016. From obtaining certification for the aging Shoshone County Jail and creating a more competitive pay scale to retain employees, to getting tougher on drugs and establishing new relationships with the neighboring law enforcement agencies, there's plenty for him to hang his hat on. Compared to before before he came on as sheriff, drug arrests under Gunderson's tenure went from an average of 90 a year to 400 a year. Much of this had to do with the addition of two uh, furry deputies that specialize in seeking out drugs. 
He said that the overall case clearance rate of SCSO shot up exponentially as well, increasing from roughly 40% when he took over to just shy of 75% today. While he is proud of meeting his initial campaign goals and more, he does wish that, that he would have been able to do more about the staffing issues that have been a constant problem at SCSO for decades. Quote, that's the area I didn't get to spend a lot of time in. We are a small community and we only have so much funding. Totally understand that, he said. While he said the office was recently able to create two new positions to help reduce burnout and call uh, caseloads, he believes that it's not enough when you take into account the issues that stem from beyond the county line. SESO staffing issues also went hand-in-hand with Gunderson's push to build a new public safety building that never came to fruition. One of his campaign promises to ensure that the county jail was recertified and stayed that way was at times difficult to keep considering the state of the current building. The biggest success Gunderson points to during his time as sheriff is the new relationships that SESO staff and the community have formed. Quote, My slogan was, Together, we can do better. We've increased our community activity programs and started doing a lot more with the community, talking to the community and seeing what was a priority to them and gearing our office toward those priorities. Being able to do that, I think, made our community much safer and that much better to live in. He believes that this relationship with the community and the structure he brought to SCSO set some solid foundations for whoever is going to become the next 1201. Looking forward, Gunderson is currently working just across the street from SCSO and Wallace as the manager of Ace Hardware and has no plans at this time to get back into law enforcement. With Gunderson's term not ending until January of 2025, an interim sheriff must be selected to serve out the remaining time. To select the interim, Gunderson first submitted a three-person list of recommendations to the Shoshone County Democratic Committee before he officially retired. The SCDC then ranked those names in order of their preference and submitted that ranked list to the BOC. SCDS Chairman Dwayne Little states that their ranked list read as follows. First, Holly Lindsay, the SCSO undersheriff. Two, Lance Stutsky, SCSO detention captain. And three, Jeff Lee, SCSO patrol captain. Upon hearing the news, Lindsay said that she is honored to be the top recommendation to fill the big shoes left by Gunderson. Commissioner Jay Huber tells the press that the BOCC will announce their choice for the interim sheriff on Monday, December 12th at 11 a.m., and that the individual will be sworn in at the Shoshone County Courthouse immediately following the decision. The BOCC is not bound to the three names submitted to them if they find none are qualified. Unless the selected interim sheriff does decide to run for a position and win an election, this individual's time as sheriff would conclude at the end of the current term. The primary election for the position of Shoshone County Sheriff will be held in May of 2024, and the general election in November of the same year. Quote, I'd just like to thank the staff, my family, and the citizens of Shoshone County for their support in my 32 years of service, Gunderson said in his final radio checkout. Quote, County, 1201, I'll be 1042. Uh, wrote this one up myself. Uh, worked, I, it, it was... It was an absolute pleasure to work with Sheriff Gunderson for as long as I did. Uh, he was essentially the sheriff for almost the entire time that I worked out at the news press out and lived out in the Silver Valley. Um, one of the best sheriffs, arguably, that the county has ever had. Um, did did such a good job, uh, in my own personal opinion, with uh, advancing that law enforcement agency and, and kind of putting it on the map and establishing a, a better rapport uh, with the community. So, uh, hope you, hope you do well in retirement, Mike, um, try, try to relax if you can. 
Watts Appliance has been providing incomparable customer service to the Silver Valley for over 50 years. The family-owned and operated business has a wealth of knowledge regarding appliances and the brands they sell. Whether you're in need of a new washing machine or have questions about refrigerators, Watts Appliance is ready to help. Visit wattsappliance.com or stop by and visit at 3 North Division Street in Pinehurst. Alright everybody, let's wrap up today's show with some headlines from the Bonners Ferry Herald. Headline from Thursday, December 8th. Expansion raises road questions. This is by Emily Bosung. The unknowns of the expansion at Three Mile Junction and the addition of Sturgeon Station Travel Center have business owners on edge. In the Three Mile area, area, the Kootenai Tribe of Idaho is building their Sturgeon Station Travel Center project, which will include a truck stop, a sonic restaurant, and cultural exhibits. The Idaho Transportation Department is planning the road connection to US-95. Business owners from Great Northern Road and Sunrise Road packed the commissioner's meeting November 21st, concerned about rumors that these roads will lose access from the highway in order to accommodate the travel center. There was also rumor that a light would be added at Great Northern and David Thompson Drive. Commissioner Tim Bertling told the Herald the project is an Idaho Transportation Department project in partnership with the Kootenai Tribe of Idaho and not with the Boundary County Commissioners since the project is on U.S. 95. At the time of the of the November 21st meeting, the commissioners did, did not have information on the project that they could share with the public. Quote, people are making a big deal over something that hasn't been decided, Bertling said. Megan Jans, public information officer at ITD, said the Kootenai Tribe of Idaho is seeking direct access to the U.S. 95 south of Three Mile Junction for a new travel center, which requires an access permit from ITD. Quote, before allowing access, ITD works with the developer to consider how a new development will impact traffic and if the request access meets spacing requirements stipulated in Idaho code, John said. A permit has not been issued yet, but the department and the, ca- the county and the tribe have been discussing the topic for months. She added that the given, given the proximity of several other accesses on the highway, there is talk of reconfiguring and consolidating access as part of the new development. Quote, pre-existing businesses will not lose access, but it could be modified, she said. Traffic demands may necessitate the installation of a signal or a light in the vicinity, and that access changes and further development in the area could be a turn, could in turn prompt a re-evaluation of the speed limit, John said. At some point, the county may ask for comments on the development proposal, she said, but that is outside of the jurisdiction of ITD. The county will have to approve the approach from the highway to the travel center. This approval will go through the road and bridge department and then go in front of the commissioners, Bertling said. This is in order to make sure that the approach provides a safe entrance to the highway. At the November 29th Bonners Ferry Rotary meeting, Dennis Weed, the project manager for the travel center, said that ITD is still deciding on the road that will come off the highway. The road will become a county road, he said, and it will comply with county standards. There was talk of putting a light in at Great Northern Road, he said, but that location is not ideal for winter weather and trucks trying to climb the hill. Many business owners at the November 21st commissioners meeting oppose this project due to concerns with traffic flow, and there will be a time for public comment, and the public will be notified when a hearing is scheduled, Weed said. Three Mile is growing, Weed added, that with Dollar General and Tractor Supply looking to build in open locations in the area, this will increase traffic and more road projects and planning for safety will be coming as well. Oh, well, growth. Weird. Never heard of that around here, right? Oh, that's... It's a way of life, seems like, at least right now. North Idaho. Moving on, last story of the day. Visit Santa's Village and support Jake's Landing. This is also by Emily Bosung. 
Boundary County businesses are coming together to support Santa's Village at Jake's Landing. For the past three years, Jake's Landing has transformed into the North Pole and fully decked out the halls with more than 14,000 Christmas lights. Businesses drastically slowed for Jake's Landing during the COVID-19 when the border closed for two Canadian travel. Jake's Landing is within a mile of the border and relies heavily on Canadian business. The border has not returned to pre-COVID hours, and the business and Jacobson family are just hanging on. That's where the community and local businesses come together. Mark Carey with ERA Shellman Realty, along with 21st Century, are handing out $5 tickets off for any purchase made at Jake's Landing. The $5 you save will be paid to Jake's Landing by the uh, 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 will be paid to Jake's Landing. The county has no say over the operation hours of the border crossing. David Sims of the Boundary County Economic Development Council, as well as the Kootenai Tribe of Idaho and the Boundary Co- Community Hospital, have requested that Idaho's congressional delegation advocate uh, advocate at the federal level for the border crossing to re- return to pre-COVID hours. The Kootenai Tribe said the border crossing hours of 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. restricts meaningful access to their sister tribe, the Lower Kootenai Band in British Columbia, and imposes hardships on tribal members planning and attending family events in addition to participating in cultural events that involve members on both sides of the border. Bonner County Hospital officials said the hours of operation do not allow them to hire needed staff from across the border, further hindering their ability to recover from staffing shortages. Three years ago, the port was open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. On October 20th, the delegation requested the commissioners of U.S. Customs and Borders to restore the Port Hill Port of Entry hours operation return to pre-COVID-19 hours. Santa's Village will be open, from, open Friday, December 9th and Saturday, December 10th and Friday, December 16th and Saturday, December 17th from 1 to 7 p.m., offering all kinds of holiday activities. To support Jake's Landing, contact Mark Carey at 208-661-1486 or Mark at shellmanrealty.com that's s-h-e-l-m-a-n-r-e-a-l-t-y.com to pick up five dollars off any purchase tickets at jake's landing stop by era shellman realty century 2021 four seasons realty michael wold state farm insurance agent or bonners ferry vet clinic there is no limit to how many five dollar off purchase tickets a family can pick up once again, we'd like to thank Hecla Mining Company for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit them at HeclaMining.com. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening in today. We really appreciate it. Please like, comment, and share all of our stuff on social media. Follow the North Idaho Now Facebook page. Really appreciate when you guys do that. We love to interact with our listeners. Uh, if you're interested in the stories we talked about today or the ones we did not, check us out at www.CourtelainePress.com, ShoshoneNewsPress.com, BonnerCountyDailyBee.com, or the BonnersFerryHerald.com. If you listen to us on a podcatcher or music app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe to us or like us or follow us on there and leave a nice review if you like what you hear. Uh, if you guys are interested in hearing about something on the show or want to advertise, uh, get a hold of us. We're widely available. You can email me at C Watson. That's uh, Char- C is in Charlie, W A T S O N, at C D A Press, P R E S S dot com, or you can just shoot us a message on Facebook. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>